Hi, I'm Jason Wacob, founder and co-CEO of MindBuddyGreen and your host for the MindBuddyGreen podcast, where I'll be bringing you deep and insightful dialogues with some of the greatest minds in wellness. If you like what you hear, please consider giving us a five-star review and comment. And don't forget to visit us at mindbuddygreen.com for your daily dose of wellness and make sure to check out all of our great offerings, including our online classes and trainings. Thanks and enjoy the podcast. Summer Rain Oaks has been obsessively studying plants way before succulents started showing up on Instagram. Actually, way before Instagram even existed. Her Brooklyn apartment is famous for having almost 700 plants from 400 species. She graduated cum laude with degrees in environmental science and entomology from Cornell University and is truly a pioneer when it comes to all things plants. She is the ultimate indoor gardener, and I'm so excited to have her on the Mind Body Green podcast today. I'm glad to be here. So we talk a lot about self-care with our audience, but today we're going to evolve it a little bit to be more about plant care. And you are definitely the expert in this realm. And we covered your Williamsburg apartment back in the early, early days of Mind Body Green. But for the members of our audience who are not familiar um, with you and your apartment, can you explain how many plants you have? Yeah, so over the last 10 years, I've been growing plants. And yes, you were one of the early ones to cover my apartment because I've always had an seemingly in excess of a number of plants. Um, now it's a little over 1,100. And wow. It's a, um, How big is your apartment? It's about a 1,200 square foot apartment. So it's like one per square foot, I guess. Um, a little over 560 species. But this is obviously grown over the course of years of, of having plants. And I always remind people that it's really not about how many plants you have have but you know that process and that journey that you go through plants I think having even one plant in your life that you could care and nurture for is important. So how long does it take you on a on a weekly or daily basis to care for 1100 plants? On a daily basis I spend about 15 minutes a day just kind of doing a really cursory glance at my plants and then on Sundays I could spend minimum about an hour on my plants but probably a little bit more than that it really depends on if I'm repotting my plants or you know what kind of watering techniques I'm using because I have built in quite a lot of efficiency into my home for instance my green wall that which is like I think my green wall is like six years old now but it's a sub irrigated system so I turn the water on and it's connected to my sink and that actually waters itself in four minutes and um, and that's about 80 plants then that are taken care of and then I assembled a 150 foot expandable hose that's also attached to the pipe of my sink that I could turn on and off and that is really efficient at being able to water lots of plants or I could use that hose to just like water some of my larger plants, like my ficus lyrata, which is my giant fiddle leaf fig, just a little bit more um, uh, thoroughly, but uh, slowly. So I think that you know those types of efficiencies that I use around my house have really helped the process of watering plants, but I would never want to completely automate it because I think that <laughs> defeats the purpose of actually you know having a moment with my plants. That seems like a pretty efficient process for a plant mother to 1100 babies yeah i mean i think that once you have a lot of uh, a lot of kids you start to think like well you know you're not making individual meals for each one of them uh you're you're probably buying in bulk and (laughs) and serving up the same mac and cheese if you will but uh but yeah i mean i think that you know plants give me a lot of 
you know, benefits, and I want to make sure that I can take care of them, you know, appropriately. And sometimes that means developing certain efficiencies, which I've had to kind of learn as they grow and as I grow as well with them. And, um, and I think that if I had like some master plan, like in the beginning, then I would have, you know, thought through these things. But I think going on, if I ever get in another place, because I have all these plants, I would definitely be thinking about like, Ooh, what are the efficient ways in order to be able to plant them in my home? But initially when I first got my first one, which was my fiddle leaf fig, uh, I wasn't thinking about like, Oh, I'm going to just cover my house in green and turn turn it into a green womb, if you will. <laughs> so plants have clearly exploded. There's direct-to-consumer plant brands. They're all over Instagram. Why are plants having this cultural moment right now? You know, I asked myself that same question, which, you know, is part of the, you know, part of the exploration that I've been doing, you know, with my book and my YouTube channel and everything. And, you know, it's a good point because, I started in the field of sustainability and health and wellness, you know, during I during the time I was in college, 15 years ago, and if not more, and if I could have focused on plants and do what I'm doing now, I totally would have. You know, I feel like I had to really go 180 degrees in a different direction in order to be able to do something really creative in the sustainability field. And that's how I found myself in like fashion and beauty and, and, um, uh, focusing on sustainability and regenerative systems in that industry. But if I could have done plants, I would have totally leaned into that. And I'm grateful to have leaned into it. Like, you know, in the last few years, and I think part of the things that um, really resonate with people is perhaps because many of us are becoming a more, you know, urban or living in a more urban environment. Not as many people are living in the country where I, you know, I grew up. You know, mm-hmm. you have a backyard. You could be running barefoot in grass. I haven't really done that, you know, since I moved to the city, which is kind of a sad thing, you know. And I do think that, you know, as we age, um, you know, we want to be able to nurture something. And especially if, you know, we can't have animals or if we're not prepared to have children or whatever the case, a plant really seems like a wonderful creature to have in your home. I think also, you know, there is this kind of increasing, um, unfortunate increasing of depression and anxiety and stress levels. Yes. You know, I think that is sometimes compounded by social media and the ability that we are accessible at any point, at any time, and that we are trying to constantly, quote unquote, keep up with the Joneses, except the Joneses are not just right across the fence. They're actually millions of miles away, but brought to us by our little mobile devices. And I think that could be really challenging for a lot of people. We're getting so much, you know, media um thrown at us that it's it's almost you know making us a little bit more scatterbrained or can make us a little bit more stressful and for those of us who are a little bit more introverted I think that sometimes interacting with people one-on-one or in groups can actually be really challenging and so I think that people have found a lot of peace and tranquility with plants and so there's there's all different reasons, I believe. Yeah. And, you know, part of um, what I wanted to explore with 
um, How to Make a Plant Love You was really opening it up to my community to find out how plants in their lives have left a positive impact. And I think that a lot of those stories really run the gamut of, you know, I've lost somebody in my life or this plant was given to me by my late father or, you know, I deal with like stress or anxiety or I had a a change of pace in life or I lost my job. All of these stories kind of come to the fore and people have found ways to ameliorate it through plants. And I don't think that's any different than what, you know, yoga was back in the day where you know yoga is way more than just being having flexible muscles right right it's a mindset it's a spiritual shift it's a behavioral change it's a lifestyle and i think that's what plants are to a lot of people i love how you brought it to something much bigger and around connection and community than just they look great on Instagram, which well, is true too. This is really important, um, and it's a great point that you bring up because I recognize social media in general, if it's just done at a, on a perfunctory level, is not very fulfilling to me. And I'm sure some people will also who are listening would agree. And I noticed, like early on, with the you know plants taking off on Instagram I was like isn't it funny that none of us actually know each other like I don't think anybody who follows one another on Instagram actually knows who each other is let alone like their real names aside from their Instagram handles and I reached out to people on Instagram and I said hey you know would anybody like to actually do a meetup at my place you know just like get together I'll buy salads from Sweetgreen all that kind of stuff And a bunch of people showed up, which was really nice. And I was like, well, maybe I'll post another time and see if people want to actually get together and do a plant swap, which is basically coming with plants, maybe cuttings, potted or bare root that you have that are pest free that you could exchange with other people. And that has really taken off. (laughs) I'm definitely not the first to have ever done a plant swap, but I think the way that we did it, which was you know, highly publicized. Um, Everybody had a nice like gift bag afterwards. You know, it was hosted in a very nice area with like food and drink and beverage. And we had a panel discussion um, and the tickets would go to a garden charity. And I think that it it, it really set off, um, you know, a firestorm for people wanting to get together and meet other plant people. Right. And I think what's really marvelous about it is that, you know, you wouldn't typically maybe even hang out with some of these folks, but what have brought you together is your shared love for plants. Yeah. And now since that time, um, we've put up a community plant page at homesteadbrooklyn.com slash plant swap. And if you look, it's, there's about a dozen plant swaps happening all over the world that people could submit their plant swap they could find out plant swaps in their neighborhood or they could go to the resources section to figure out how they could have one um, or how they could put one on in their neighborhood and that was just really stunned by the community because the community was like oh come to my city and host a plant swap and it's like well I'm not in your city so (laughs) I want to empower you to be able to hold your own plant swap and And some people took the initiative to actually do it. And I just, I find it so remarkable. And I talk with people all the time who come to the plant swaps who say, oh, they've met their partner there, that they've developed lifelong relationships. I've chatted with people who I've done house plant house tours with. And they said, 
you know, I've never had the community that I have now. And I'm like, yeah, but you've been living in the city for five years. There's like 8 million people. You're telling me that you haven't built up this deep of a relationship with people. And they're like, no, not until these plant swaps and the plant community actually was in the flesh. And I think that is like awesome. I think there's so many people who are hungry to find their tribe and their community and the conversations around social media are, are, are never truly binary. There's good and there's bad. And I love how you've been able to take something that we know has some anxiety causing effects on lots of people and turn it into a force for good and creating community. That's really inspiring. The physical world is so important. And I think that a lot of folks, especially like I said, you know, I think plants really attract a lot of different types of folks. I'm not saying that all of us are introverted who like plants, but a good number of people are are introverted. And so many times their for, first foray into the quote unquote real world is actually through a, some type of physical plant community like a plant swap. And I think that there is a lot of merit for that. So, you know, it's it's could be you know very intimidating to actually yeah. go and meet somebody that you've never met but it just gets the fears get allayed when when you realize that the people who are trading with you are kind of just like you or at the at the very least like plants just like you and that's usually enough in order to be able to get uh past the um agoraphobia or people phobia or whatever it might actually be and um, and it's really lovely to see so I do think that social media can be used as a tool but just like clothes it should you know that we have this saying in fashion where you should wear the clothes the clothes shouldn't wear you it's like you should utilize social media social media shouldn't utilize you right and what are some of the health benefits of having a couple of plants in your your home. Well, I think even having just one plant in your house is allows you to develop a relationship with that plant if that's what you're looking for. Because yep. at the very least, you know, some people might say, "I just want plants for decor. I want to make it look like a pretty picture and post it on Instagram and then call it a day." And it's no different than going on Tinder and just you know having a very perfunctory one night stand with somebody as opposed to somebody who you want to actually develop a relationship with or get to know. Right. So I'm like, how is that different from, um, you know, having a relationship with plants? And I think that's part of the reason why I wrote this book is like, it's a relationship guide to living with plants. And if we could have one plant in our life, we could develop a relationship with it. And then of course, you know, developing those lifestyles, you know, just the same way that if I have tea or coffee every morning and it becomes my ritual, you develop a ritual with that plant. It becomes part of a healthier lifestyle. And then if you have enough plants in your apartment and for my house, I think it would be around 12 medium sized. So I would say probably six to 10 inch type um, style plants, uh, would be enough to kind of clean the air and I think that's something that people always want to know like what are the plants that are going to clean my air yes so you know plants are really good filters they work in unison with the bacteria in the rhizosphere which is in the the root zone 
And that is what they use to be, be able to take in toxins and basically inoculate them in the soil and hold them there. And so certain plants, not all plants have been studied, but certain plants are better at detoxifying the air and some are better at taking out, out like benzene versus formaldehyde. And there's just not enough research across you know, all the different species of plants, but many of those studies have been done in the 80s and corroborated again and again with some of the, you know, typical plants that, you know, we often see in the plant market, like snake plants and dracaenas and philodendrons and spathophyllums, which are peace lilies and things like that. So snake plants seem like they're everywhere. And would they be one of the plants that you would highlight for these health benefits? Or are there some easy starter kind of plants for someone who's wanting to ease into plants for you know, cleaning up the air in their home? I would like to just step back um, first and just you know share a couple steps for people who want to bring plants into yeah. their home and say, you know, it's important to know where and what what kind of light you're getting into your in your home because yeah. one of the things that I think we often overlook is that you know we already know where our refrigerator is to feed ourselves but for a plant it doesn't go to our refrigerator it actually needs light in order to be able to eat and feed itself so it's important to be able to position it correctly and if you want to set yourself up for success one of the first things that we should know how to do is understand the quality and the quantity and the intensity of light that's coming into our homes and that might not be much so <laughs> one of the first things you could do is you know on many people's smartphones you have a compass app or yeah. you could download a compass app and you could see whether your windows face north south east west and you could also observe you know the the whether your light comes in in the morning so it's probably rising in the east if it sets then it's maybe and you notice it's setting then maybe that's in the west um, if you notice a lot of intense light you know a lot of hard shadows then you're probably in a south facing window um, a northern facing window doesn't get any kind of direct light so these are the things you kind of acknowledge before even walking into a plant store and getting a plant then I think from there, you would likely want to see, okay, well, what kind of person am I? And, you know, and that's something that you ask. And again, sorry to put this back into like um, dating profiles, which is online dating, which is actually something I've never done. But like, I could imagine that like when you're doing an online dating profile, you say, okay, well, what type of person am I? What kind of qualities do I need to like put in my match? Well, yeah. if you had a dating profile with, with plants, you know, you would say, well, I am somebody who's a helicopter plant parent who likes to water my plants 24, you know, all the time. And sometimes I'm at risk of overwatering you, that, that type of thing. Or are you somebody who travels and, you know, is really hands off when it comes to plants? So those two things are important. Know what kind of light, quality of light, and then the type of person that you are. And then where you would actually then position it within your house, you know, given those indications, you know, is it something that's going to be the corner of the room? Is it going to be a hanging basket plant? Is it going to be something off your windowsill or one of your shelves? Because plants have shape and form, right? And some are better as like hanging basket plants. You wouldn't put like a one that's a hanging basket plant probably on your ground next to your pet. Maybe you want something that's like tall and skinny, like a snake plant that would go perfect in the corner of your room that's facing, you know, a window, a western facing window, for instance. And then you could then, I would say, go to Instagram or Pinterest and say, okay, well, this is the type of aesthetic that I like. Maybe something that's a little shabby chic. Maybe that's something that's a little bit more modern. And really the decor and the aesthetic, I feel, comes forth. 
yeah. you know, out of these things for you to consider because you really want to set yourself up for success in order to be able to get the right plant for you. And if you say, oh, I like that plant in the store and then put it into a place that maybe it doesn't belong in your house, then you're probably not setting yourself up for success unless you get really lucky. Um, but you know, there are ways to be able to get a plant and maybe, um, create a better environment for it. If you don't have that environment, and I think that we have a lot more options out there now, namely really nice grow lights that look good on the eyes. And two, you could get a humidifier as well for plants that, you know, prefer a little bit more high humidity. So how would I know if I needed to get a humidifier? Oftentimes there are certain plants that are, that people will find out that are a little bit more finicky than others. And some that are so beautiful that you can't help but not want to buy them. (laughs) Um, Namely, yes, I'm talking about you, prayer plant family. (laughs) So anybody who goes in and they see these really beautiful plants in the Calathea, Japortia, Maranta, Stromanthi, Tenanthi, These are all plants in the prayer plant family. They usually have really beautiful, bright purple, ruby colored undersides and dark green tops of uh, the leaves with like splotches and lines that look like they were hand painted. So anybody coming into a plant shop is like, ooh, I really like that plant. Um, And they're very compact usually, at least to start. And so I know a lot of folks will will gravitate towards those just on beauty alone. Um, and, And that's okay. But just so you know that those plants are probably a little bit more finicky. They have really thin foliage, some less thin than others. And I I have a tendency to think that those are actually, um, you know, more easy. So the Tenanthes are actually ones that are actually um, easier to care for, I think, than some of the uh, Calatheas, which are now called Japortias. But um, those plants are just understory plants. They're usually in high humidity. They get brown tips and brown edging very easily if you're not giving them like rainwater or distilled water and you're not giving them enough of humidity and like one bad sunburn is going to crisp up their leaves and then people are more likely to kind of toss those out and then you've just wasted your money and you've wasted that plant. So um, it's okay. That happens and it's part of the learning experience, but you learn from your experience because I I think that the only way that we become good gardeners is actually by trying yeah. and learning and observing and, and seeing, okay, well, if I didn't get it right this time, do I just not try it again? Well, that's really up to you. And you could see whether there's, um, that you could have a place in, in your home that may be a little less challenging for that plant. So you brought up rainwater and distilled water. Yes. We nurture our plants with, you know, filtered New York tap water. Should Mm -hmm. we be thinking about that differently or are there certain plants that require a little bit higher quality water? Well, it really depends on your quality of water and where the, you know, listeners are tuning in from and filtered water can be okay, but it really depends on what your filter is filtering. Yeah. And, you know, I, I often point to um, people and I did a whole episode on like how to water your plants and like the best way to water. And one of the things that was mind blowing for people is to understand what kind of contaminants are actually found in their water. And I think that we have this 
long-held belief, especially in New York City, that New York City has the best water in the world. We're proud of that for some reason. Yeah, we're very proud of that, but I don't even know where <laughs> that's that's, true. <laughs> that source has come from. And oftentimes what is true maybe 30 years ago is not true now. So I point people to the Environmental Working Group because they did a pretty big would say watershed study, um, all, you know, all puns intended, on uh, at least the the water in the states. So you could go and put in your zip code, and you could see where and what contaminants have spiked in your area at a specific time. So it's not to say that maybe they were able to get rid of that contaminant at some point in time, but probably likely not. Um, and and then you could see if those would have some type of health effect, not only on you, but also your plants. And plants are sometimes a little bit more like the canary in the coal, mi- coal mine. They are a bit more sensitive to what you're actually giving them. So I found in, in New York water that there was several contaminants that could actually have an effect on plants. I was noticing this for my own prayer plants, and I was like, okay, from this point forward, I'm going to be giving them you know, a distilled water or a filtered water, and I use a filter that takes out like quite a bit of um, hard minerals and heavy metals that is actually attached to my hose. So it's not even a filter that you could filter for, for drinking water. It's, um, well, you can, but it, it's not that practical and it's quite large. It's not like what you'd have like in a Brita filler. And what do you do for your personal drinking water in New York? Um, I actually just only get distilled water for myself, which it's funny because when I mention this, a lot of people are like, oh my God, you're drinking distilled water? Because there is a long held belief that distilled water, because it is the purest form of water, it will remove toxins. It's oftentimes why if you have kidney stones, why the doctor will always tell you to have a cranberry juice or something that could remove those kidney stones. And there's lots of different types of distilled water. Of course, not everything is something that you want to drink, but urine is distilled. Um, you know, you could get the mist or certain rainwater is distilled. Fruit juice is distilled water. And then you have distilled water, which is just like, you know, distilled water that you could get in a container or you could actually get a distiller for, but that's a little bit impractical for a small apartment. Um, and then if, uh, if the plant needs to be fertilized, then I would, uh, you know, put in a fertilizer into the water. But um, oftentimes something that's distilled is really good at being able to take salts out that usually typically build up in the soil that could actually harm the roots of plants. But, um, but yeah, so I think that, you know, this is a lot of stuff that I've like learned experientially from keeping plants indoors and that I, I always love to share on with people because it's, and I always share with people, I'm like, take this as a guide, not as gospel, because your experience could be very different. And the water that you have in your town may be very different than the water that I have in my town. So while it's impossible to probably give advice for all types of plants in their environments, is there any general rules if someone's trying to figure out, am I giving my plant enough water, too much water, too little water? How do you know if it's been properly nourished? 
Well, I always um, share with people that you should be watering your plants in relation to the quality and the quantity and the intensity of light that you're giving it. So if it's in a really high light area, even if it's a cacti, you should be watering that plant thoroughly. And thoroughly meaning that you're watering it and maybe 10 to 20% of the water comes down out, out of the, um, the basin and into your, um, out of the hole in the planter and then into your basin. Wow. And so that is to make sure that you are watering all the way down to the base of the root because it is the base of the root that actually picks up most of the water. And so if you're watering it too surficially, you're really only getting the top of the root. It'd be like washing your hair, but only at root, like the top of your head level and not like towards the bottom of your hair. And then you're like, okay, well, I'm done, right? <laughs> no, you're not done washing your hair. You have to get your whole head in and not and just the wet scalp. Your head. Yeah, not just your scalp. So, you know, for a plant, especially where those root tips are and those root hairs, that's where they're kind of like water witching and finding water and nutrients be, to be able to pull up to the top of the plant. So if you're doing it too superficially, either the roots will start to want to grow up, which is kind of against, you know, root policy. And, um, and the plant could also tip over in the pot, you know, if it, if it starts to grow too superficially. So that's why it's important, especially if you're a newbie plant owner to have, um, a planter with a hole in the bottom. If you feel like you're going to overwater your plants, I always share with folks to opt for a more gritty porous soil. And so how do you achieve that? Well, sometimes it's not just with the soil that you get in a bag, like where it's just a regular potting medium. Sometimes you're getting something called perlite, which are these like puffed volcanic stones, which look like styrofoam balls. But typically when you do heat and pressure on any type of stone, it gets, it pops like popcorn and it becomes as light as popcorn. So something like that, or like lava stone and mix that even 50, 50%, 50% potting medium and 50% porous gritty structure. And then just kind of, um, or porous gritty substrate and then mix that together and then have that as a, um, very consistent material. And then the, the water will, uh, drain a little bit more readily and pull new oxygen down to the roots of the plant. And, um, and I think that if you're not doing that, then the oxygen is also not getting down to the plant roots. And it's really important to have both water as well as oxygen in your matrix that you're, um, that you have your plant growing in. Cool. You brought up cactus, mm-hmm. um, cactus and succulents. They seem to have grown in this Instagram era where m- maybe you think of them in the desert, but now they seem to be everywhere. Mm-hmm. Besides just they look great decor, how do you know if it's actually the right plant for you to have? Well, that goes back to the type of light that you have in your house. So for instance, if you're in the Northern Hemisphere and you have a Southern or Western exposure, typically the North American and some of the South American cacti are gonna be great for that type of light. And again, this is if your windows are totally unobstructed, you don't have like a big oak tree outside kind of shading your view or another building or it's your window, your South window is like facing a a building wall or something like that. Um, You know, so if you have unobstructed windows southwest south or west facing or southwest facing then chances are you could be growing a desert cacti or and or a succulent in your um, place not all succulents of course like some are you know required to be in a little bit more um, uh, less light conditions and not all cacti either because some jungle cacti which have become very common 
I will say the common names and you'll be like, oh, that's a jungle cactus. Interesting. So Schlumbergera, which is a Christmas cactus, Easter cactus, or Thanksgiving cactus. They're really sold very commonly during those times and are often sold flowering. And they are all different species or cultivars, typically. And those are jungle cacti. So those are cacti that um, are typically epiphytes, which means they grow on another plant, that they're growing underneath the understory of uh, a tree. So they're not getting direct light that they'd probably do better in like an Eastern exposure, which is a little bit more gentle light throughout the day. They can handle maybe a little bit of Western exposure. They might actually redden up a little bit. Um, And then they need about, I think it's about 14 hours of dark period at night in order for them to reflower again. So if you're like, huh, you know, my Easter Thanksgiving or Christmas cactus hasn't reflowered. Well, there's a certain amount of light and dark period Um, photo period that the plant needs in order to be able to produce that flower again so um you know so i I don't want to be what are the optimal times to get that much dark period because even in new york you're not getting that much yeah i mean i think that you know part of it is some people will spur the plant to uh flower by having a grow light on and off so if you have like a grow light and all my grow lights for instance are on a timer So Mm -hmm. I will have them on from like seven to eight or something along those lines, depending on where they are in my house and they turn on and then they turn off and then you, and yes, I think that you make a really valid point. Like sometimes at night there is no night in New York city. And that has obviously screwed with a lot of circadian rhythms (laughs) um, and screwed up with like a lot of the, the photo period where, you know, they have that for humans and plants. Yes. For humans and plants. I mean, I, I have blackout shades and I think part of it is, you know, because it's much easier to sleep. And I think plants, you know, plants need that too. So, um, and some plants need dormancy as well. Um, and that's something that, you know, oftentimes we trick plants into growing all year long and they don't go through the dormant period. So there's, there's all sorts of things and we could get really mired into the weeds, but I think that cacti and succulents in general, if you're thinking about the more desert dwelling ones, then, uh, again, this goes back to like, well, what kind of light do I have? Because if somebody gifts you a cacti and you have North and East facing windows and it's not a jungle cactus, then you're, and then they tell you it's a very easy plant to take care of. And you have a black thumb if you can't, and if you kill this and then you realize, wait, I don't have the proper window for it. So maybe I need to get a grow light for it, or I might actually end up killing this or it might become etoliated which means that it starts to lengthen and get really skinny um and that's you know that's common too and it develops a certain character but the plant keeps on chugging along um so yeah so i think that those are the things that you really need to consider like maybe you like the geometry and the look of cacti and succulents but you don't have the right kind of window well then you know is it something that you get a grow light bulb or um, you know, grow light tubes. There's a lot of great LED options that are also on the market now. And when you think about bathrooms and whether or not it makes sense to put plants in your bathrooms, is it all dependent on the light sources there or are there any other factors to consider? Yeah, I mean, the light source is the key source. Um, of course, you know, people like to put plants in their bathroom because it just makes sense, clears the air, there's a lot of humidity there. But if you don't have the light in the bathroom, then Uh, that is going to be a challenge. I'm so lucky because I have a huge picture window in my bathroom. um, And that 
provides a really great place for plants and the humidity is as such where it does after a hot shower the humidity really sticks in there and I have a very tiny bathroom so I find it to be a great place for plants but most people's bathrooms don't have windows or they have tiny little windows and so again I would say you could have a grow light in there that's you know maybe above your shower or wherever and you know have that on eight to twelve hours a day and um, and that could be good for those plants that are in your very dark bathroom. <laughs> As is the case with ours. Yeah. Um, what gets you excited in the mornings to wake up and, and feel energized? I think like doing the work that I do, I've, I just feel very grateful because I've been able to pursue my passion pretty endlessly. And I am always comfortable taking sensible risks. So being able to wake up in the morning and really do a work that I love and to know that my work is is literally making an impact, a positive impact in someone's life out there is um, very affirming. So I think that is probably the one thing that kind of like drives me. And I am a type of person who has a ton of ideas and if I, if I have those ideas kind of sitting for too long, I get kind of like, you know, anxious and I'm like, I need to get them out and I need to get them done. So I have like this running list of ideas in like my, my, you know, sketchbook in order to be able to, to do. And I'm very driven and motivated in that, on that level on both like a daily basis as well as just like kind of long term. So that I think keeps me, uh, you know, driven. And I think that having the routine that I have, you know, with my formerly foster chicken with like to now my chicken, um, (laughs) to, you know, my plants, to having a little bit of tea in the morning and at night, like it really kind of bookends my day. Uh, and I think that really, um, influences kind of just like, um, healthy mindset for myself. How does the chicken interact with the plants? Kippy's been really wonderful. For those of you who don't know, I took on a foster hen about two and a half years ago, and she has peppered my Instagram feed here and there and stolen the show. <laughs> <laughs> and your neighbors are cool with that? My neighbors, like, yeah, they like her. She's super quiet. I mean, I think that if, you know, if chickens were more better potty trained they would totally be up there with dogs and cats it's like such a no-brainer they are just great animals um and uh and she's been really marvelous i mean i can't leave certain plants on the floor like she loves prayer plants maranta she loves maiden hair adiantums maiden hair plant plants um the ferns that i have and i have to put them up in my green wall now which they don't like to actually be up in my green wall as much they preferred being like in the containers down on the floor but she will just mow them over and sometimes she'll get like angry or like if I'm not paying attention to her she'll like rip like the growing structure of like a really nice pothos or philodendron that's like on the floor but generally she's been good and I think it's because now I you know put her out in a coop for part of the day and then I take her in at night and so I feel like she gets her running and her ripping of plants out you know during in the uh, in the evening hour or in the day hours and then in the evening hour she's like really sedate and like ready to go to bed and for those members of our audience who have not seen your stunning green wall can you give a little bit more details of what it's all about yeah so i assembled a green wall about 6 years ago with another um group and and it, i think it was one of the first sub irrigated green walls that was ever installed in a residential building um, so it was very experimental, and my 
um, startup company had just moved out of my place and I really wanted to like figuratively and literally clear the air because I had like coworkers coming into my space, which is like my it's your version of home. a saging your home. Yeah, it was definitely, <laughs> it was definitely a big saging. So I, um, you know, had this wall assembled. It's about five troughs and it's, so it's about eight, I would want to say it's about eight feet long and maybe about nine feet tall and um and so there's about 80 plants in it and then uh, my dad and i assembled a trough down below that's not sub-irrigated that i grow a lot of uh snake plants in Uh, i would call them sansevieria because that's their former scientific name but they've recently been moved over into dracaena which everybody's up in arms about for all those plant nerds out there and so i grow the snake plants down below and a lot of them are the foliage varieties up above and they, there's a sub-irrigation system. Um, I actually have a whole DIY on Mind Body Green and then also on my um, um, plant one on me of how it actually got assembled. And because and, a lot of folks that I know like want a green wall in their house. And I think that once you start to acquire plants, you realize you start filling up all the horizontal space. And then you're like looking at your walls and ceilings like very lustfully. And you're like, oh, yeah 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 I should get a green wall so that's that's one that um you know I did and it's nice it's like it's a pocket system so I can move the plants in and out so as they kind of grow or if they die back or anything I could just kind of pop them out and pop some new ones in or if I want wanted to put all poinsettias or if I wanted to put all anthuriums and have like a certain look I could actually do it that way so there is this kind of great combination of having something that's um I would call like a little bit more like living art very cool um anything keep you up at night? Well, I think a lot of things keep me up at night. Um, you know, just being able, like from the, a very personal level of just like, oh, you know, I, I want to be able to get as much work done as possible. Am I going to have an efficient day tomorrow? Um, so just kind of like general work duress of um, wanting to get everything done um, and making sure the people that are working with me are, uh, are you know, are happy and pleased and, um, and and are healthy. Uh, I think that, you know, the certain things that are happening in the environment, I mean, when you get past your own stage, like certain things are happening in the environment, like really, um, irritate me. I wouldn't say that I don't like lose so much sleep over it, but I think, you know, most recently, um, Hurricane Ida, which happened in March, you know, bowled over one of the sustainable development organizations that I work with in Mozambique. And obviously, like Mozambique is a country that nobody ever hears about or cares about or anything, especially being in the United States. And so, you know, we ended up having to like raise some funds, which was just like such a little drop in the bucket um, for a place that was like in so dire need. Um, you know, there's probably about a half a million dollars worth of damage that happened in that area. And, um, and the Mozambique Forest Center is the second largest tree planter in Mozambique. And it's in an area that has been highly deforested. So those things like that really affect me. Some of the fires that had been happening in the Amazon, because I know um, one of my other great mentors actually works in the area, more specifically in Colombia, and um, they have been uh, much better at being able to take care of the indigenous people and their forests there. But to see what's happening in Brazil and Bolivia, how they just kind of cut down the trees and then they let them there um, to dry out. And then that's when they actually go and, you know, burn the forest is when the 
the trees are primarily dried out so that they could like clear the land for you know beef cattle or soya or anything along those lines um you know that's kind of like really disturbing because you feel so helpless and it's at such a large scale and it's in a country that you don't necessarily have access to um it becomes like very challenging and so i took it upon myself to um at least utilize like some of my social media to be able to translate some of the letters that were written by um, the indigenous uh, groups down there because all of them were like written in Spanish or, you know, um, and so being able to translate those and kind of share that a little bit more, at least to my followers and to help point people to the specific indigenous led organizations down there was um, really important because I think what a lot of us don't know, especially being in the United States, is that a lot of our mainstream NGOs that we hear of on the everyday basis have actually been kicked out of those countries. And so when you're supporting one of the mainstream NGOs, they actually have to hire another NGO who's literally on the ground in order to be able to even deal with issues like that. And so they're not really boots on the ground and then your money gets um, you know, really dwindled down to a, a, a lower level. So being able to um, fund the ones that are a little less splashy and that are actually like doing solid work because they live there, I think is really important. And I, I feel like if I could use utilize my social media for anything, it could be things like that. Um, but again, you know, I you know made mention of this. This is not something that we think about on a daily basis because we have our other issues. Like we have our own like hashtag first world problems, <laughs> and that's why I think it's it's good for us to empower those who actually live in there in those areas because that is what they have to deal with like on a daily basis. If that's something that we're passionate about, I particularly am passionate really about. Um, forests and conservation of forests in the world I've always been and I've I've found myself just like a little bit more um, geared towards that and the people who actually live in those forests so I feel like if any if I have any shtick or any cause that would really be it but you know obviously there's a million and one causes we could all worry about but I found like worrying about every single one actually diminishes your law of returns (laughs) of being able to actually care right and last question what advice would you give to your younger self I just would say, you know, keep doing what you're doing. <laughs> like, I, I mean, I really knew myself at a really young age and I really fought for what I believed in. And I was, it's like no joke. I was like, you know, I have always been very driven and very motivated and not scared to take sensible risks. So I would, um, I would give myself like two thumbs up looking back at my younger self and then feel even that much more confident to go forward with what I want to do in life. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me.